Welcome to the Reliance Community Podcast. Worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 o'clock or 10.45 a.m. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Let's just have an openness before the Lord this morning. God, we love you. Um, man, thank you for meeting us. Jesus, you're so good. God, and so as we, as we, with arms extended, as we surrender corporately and say, you're the King of kings and the Lord of lords, you're the King of this place, of this church, and of our individual lives, God, we're also saying, uh, Lord, whatever you would have for us this morning, we're open to receive it. And so, Lord, if you need to encourage, if you need to convict, if you need to correct, um, whatever it is, God, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would have the room. You would have the room. Physically and spiritually, you would have the room to do whatever you need to do in our lives and in our hearts, and that we would just be, uh, man, just, just clay in the potter's hands. We love you, God. We give you all the glory, all the credit. You deserve it. It's you alone, why we've gathered. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, so last week, uh, Pastor Aaron wrapped up our, our, our last sermon series called Multiply, and it's really a, a huge uh, part of our emphasis of who we are. If you get a chance, if you, if you weren't able to join us, go back to our podcasts. Um, you go to reliancecommunity.org and check out some of those. And we're not trying to like uh, self-pat Aaron on the back saying, hey, you're, you're a great preacher, which, hey, man, you are. But we're trying to say, this is huge. Like, this is a vision piece for those who call Reliance home that we should be multiplying people. Like, it's not just the four walls. We've said that multiple, multiple times. It's not just about being in the four walls. It's about being the, the church of God outside of the building called the church. You know what I'm saying? And so if you get a chance, go, go listen to those. Hopefully you're encouraged and inspired. And God uh, just, man, just renewed some things in your heart. So this week, we start our Christmas series called When Jesus Moved Into the Neighborhood. And that's a nice little pretty graphic. Um, when Jesus Moved Into the Neighborhood. And so as I was preparing for today... Naturally, I began to think about all the different neighborhoods that I've lived in. Now, here's the thing. Uh, my wife and I, when we first got married, eh, it's probably, probably a good eight years of our first year of marriage or first time of marriage or first part of marriage, we, um, we moved a lot. Like, for whatever reasons, it seemed like every six months we, we, would, we would move. Um, you know, I had a kid, so I had to get another room or, or whatever the various reason was. And so we've lived in a lot of different neighborhoods, experienced a lot of different neighbors, and uh, our first apartment, we lived in a fourplex uh, in the Riverside area. And um, we had some fun neighbors. And one neighbor in particular named Mark, a super nice guy. Um, but one day, he, I was outside, and it was actually winter, about this time winter. And he, and he says, Ryan, come here. I want to show you something. So I'm like, oh, okay. Uh, and so I go into, into, into his apartment. And in his apartment, he has a full-size Komodo dragon. <laughs> a Komodo dragon living underneath me. I had no idea the whole time, and he had it like caged up, and it was like really weird, something you'd probably see on some sort of Netflix series about some backwoods. Anyway, it was weird. It was creepy to think that that thing could eat me at any time during the night in Kansas, and so anyway, uh, that was Marcus, and I'm not sure owning a Komodo dragon is legal. I don't, I don't know the ramifications of that, but, but uh, judging by the, the smell of a, of a certain plant that can be smoked, I'm not sure a whole lot of legal activity <laughs> was going on in Marcus's house. So that was our, that was our first apartment. Um, and then we moved actually to a neighborhood close to here and the houses were really close together. And so literally like you go out your back door and you're smelling what the neighbors are cooking for dinner, like in their house, you're smelling what they're cooking for dinner. Um, you're hearing like private conversations. You're like, I don't think I should know this stuff. Uh, and, and then you're like, did they put on deodorant today? Cause I, I don't smell a whiff, but seriously, like they were really close together. And in this one particular house uh, right beside us, every time I'd walk out the back door, a stinking little pug with one eye named Big Dog would bark that, you know, would just bark at me. 
And if you know anything about pugs, when they begin to like get all excited and bark, like they can't breathe. It's something naturally broken about their, their breeding. And so it's like, and it was just the worst. Like I felt sorry for the thing, but I also felt really frustrated. Like that this thing would just incessantly bark at me. So, but here's the thing. All that to say is like, we've had some of those neighbors. You know what I'm saying? And to probably others, we've been those neighbors. Uh, living in proximity with others in, in neighborhoods and in houses and apartments and all that, it can be entertaining. Yeah, there's, there's moments. It can be fun. It can be irritating. It can be frustrating. I mean, all of the above and, and so many things living in proximity with one another. And that's, that's, that's real life. Like, that's part of who we are and God's design that we would live in proximity to one another. But here's the thing. It got me thinking about, of course, the story of Christ during the Christmas season. And, and, and 2,000 years ago, this still blows my mind. And I, I still just am like, God, this crazy, this, this story is just crazy. 2,000 years ago, the God of the universe took on human flesh and he moved into our jacked up neighborhood. He moved into the neighborhood. Some were happy about the new neighbor. Yeah, man, he's awesome. Some were not so happy. And I want to check out uh, the Gospel of John, John chapter 1. And this is what the Apostle John has to say. And if, if you would, would you stand in honor of God's word? I did that as a kid, and I just think it's kind of cool still. So um, you don't have to stand, sit, walk, sleep. H- however you want to do reading God's word, it's cool. But this, I think this is a way to honor him corporately. And so let's, let's read this. John chapter 1, verses 10 through 14. It says, He, Jesus, came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people. He came to his own people and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. I pray you circle that verse, underline that verse, highlight that verse. Gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or or plan, but a birth that comes from God. The word became flesh and blood, and he moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. Amen. You can go be seated. So I um, actually, verses 10 through 13 are from the New Living Translation. Um, I read out of that a lot. But then 14, I loved how the message translation, it's more of a paraphrase, kind of put it. The word became flesh and he moved into the neighborhood. A very real God stepped off of his heavenly throne in the spiritual realm, took on the frailties of real physical human flesh, and he moved in among a people whom had rejected him over and over and over again, long before he was born in the gospel narratives. He moved in among a people that he knew would one day reject him again. A people that one day he knew, he foreknew before he ever stepped on earth, that one day that crowd would yell, crucify him. Jesus moved into the neighborhood. And, and here's the crazy thing. I love, the, I mean, just the gospel, the story of Jesus from, from the birth narrative all the way through, the Old Testament prophesying about Jesus, the Savior. I love it because this real Jesus taking up residence among a fallen humanity implies very real implications for our lives. In fact, it involves life-changing implications, life-altering implications. A real Jesus implies real change. Here's the thing. Does anybody like to get their plans altered? 
I mean, you set plans, you're like, I got this thing, and all of a sudden, bam, you're hit off. You feel like you're hit off track, and you're, you know, you're, you're stammering, and you're like, oh, where's, uh, uh, we freak out, right? Well, here's the thing. Jesus came, and his real life, the real life of Christ, changes, alters our lives. It should. Amen? And here's the thing, like this, the, 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 of course, there's different accounts of Jesus and, and his birth are all very similar, but all the gospels have a certain account. And so in Matthew chapter, chapter 2, verse 3, um, it says this, when King Herod heard of this, he's talking about the birth of Jesus, he was deeply disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. King Herod was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. Now, here's the thing. I understand that King Herod would get disturbed, okay? He's a very selfish ruler. And so whenever you hear, oh, the king of kings has been born, the wise men actually come to him and say, hey, King Herod, where is this king of kings that has been born? We want to go, we want to go worship him. And king Herod's like, ooh, not so good. My throne may be like, what's going on here? I'm, I may actually, this may have like implications for me as a king. And so I can understand King Herod, but here's the deal. Why would the Jewish people who for centuries had been waiting on the promised Messiah, who had been telling one another, Jacob, he's coming, the Messiah's coming, Caleb, the Messiah's coming, like day in and day out, reminding one another that the Messiah's coming, and he finally arrives, and they're disturbed. What? Why would Jerusalem, those who've been waiting on him, be so disturbed by that news? Well, here's my thought. Because a real Jesus, a real Savior, a real King bring consequences to a way of living. Like the Jews would have to confront a way of religion, a way of living that they had lived under for centuries. And here's the thing, the status quo of how they lived might just have to go. Like it might have to be confronted. And let's be honest, who likes who likes to look in the mirror and like, oh man, I, I love to have the status quo challenge. That's just, that's just me today, every day. Like, that's not human nature. We like things to kind of be set and comfortable. And then Jesus busts on the scene and he makes things real uncomfortable. In fact, John wanted his readers like, to get this very idea because, okay, here's John chapter one. We just read and it's, it's a very nice story. And by John chapter two... <laughs> This is awesome. You got to go read John chapter 2. Um, by John chapter 2, Jesus goes into the temple during Passover, and the dude just goes nuts. Like to everybody looking around, Jesus is flipping out of his mind, right? He begins flipping over money, money changers' tables in the temple. He, he, in fact, does this. Jesus goes and he, and he gets some cords and he makes a whip, like, and starts like whipping the cattle and the sheep out of, out of, the, out of the temple. That takes intentionality. Like when you're making the cord, like, oh, hey, this is, oh, I'm, I'm going to get those people. I mean, you know, like you're really thinking about this. It wasn't just he got mad and all of a sudden grabbed something. Like he sat there and thought, how am I going to do this? Oh, this is, this is going to be fun to rock the boat, right? <laughs> and so, but here's the thing. Passover. So that's interesting. John chapter 2, go read it. Jesus, like, disrupts Passover. Now, if you know anything about Jewish history, Passover is a festival that God had commanded the Jews to celebrate. Jesus, God incarnate, comes down and he disrupts Passover, something God had commanded them to do. Now, why would Jesus do this? 
Was it because like God changed his mind about Passover at some point? Like <laughs> I can imagine Jesus and, and, and God and you know the Holy Spirit before the world was ever made, they're like, hey, you're gonna go down there and you're gonna you're gonna live among the people and you go to the cross. But here's the deal: that Passover, that's really boring. Like, you gotta do something about Passover. Like, seriously, it's a drag. I mean, these people, it's just a serious drag. No, like that that wasn't why. Because here's the thing: Passover in the hands of men had become a commercialized religious burden and that actually gave very little regard for the God they confessed it was for. Jesus challenges the status quo of even a very religious festival that's supposed to point towards God. He even disrupted the religious status quo. Now, this got me thinking about the modern day church and in particular the church that I feel called to help pastor here at Reliance. And, um, Man, that'll give you a gut check when you begin to like, bring it down to like, okay, how does the gospel impact my life? What does that look like in my own life? And here's the thing. It got me thinking about our church. And if Jesus showed up at any moment, if King Jesus walked through those doors, either side, and he began to stroll down here, would he feel honored? Or, or would he have to confront the religious status quo? Like, would he feel celebrated and honored? Or would we be like, oh, I hope he doesn't point me out. Woo-hoo. Like, would we be disturbed by him showing up? This, friends, is why I, I, I seriously have no desire to play church anymore. I simply don't. I pray that we would never, ever, ever be disturbed by Jesus showing up at our service. But instead, we would long for his presence, his touch, mm, to be with him. And here's the thing. I pray that when he does show up, that he'd spend a lot more time at our table being honored than feeling like he has to spend a whole lot more time flipping over tables. Will Jesus be honored in this house? But here's the thing. It's, it's not just about reliance, though. It's also about how we live our own personal lives in Christ as well. We can't say we believe in a real Christ and not expect real convictions and, and real implications in, in how we live our lives day by day, minute by minute. If Jesus' teachings, his values, his, his way of living don't like get us a bit unsettled or a bit uncomfortable in how we live our lives, then maybe we need to first examine if we truly believe in the real Jesus as the Bible presents him. It might be a good place to start. And it sounds absurd to think that we would confess to being believers in Jesus but not actually believe in a real Jesus. Like that is absurd. But too many confessing Christians live their lives that way. It's like Jesus is only slightly more real than an overweight, red-suited man from the North Pole. If you believe in a real Jesus, then a real Jesus has to impact and transform every part of your life. That includes getting up in your business. That includes getting up in your marriage. Getting up in how you raise your kids. Getting up in, in how you treat others at work. What you do in your private. What you do in the public. All of it. There should be no closets that that Jesus is not allowed to open. A real Jesus implies very real change. And so here's the bottom line this morning. Are you and I willing to let Jesus examine our heart and confront whatever status quo we've set up? Just as he did with the Jews 2,000 years ago. And in in fact, the entire world. So with that in mind, I want to look a little bit more at John chapter 1. And, um, and dive a little bit farther 
uh, into some of these verses. And here's the thing with John, just to give you a little background. John's the only gospel that doesn't give a birth narrative of Jesus. And so there's no baby Jesus wrapped in a manger or wrapped in clothes in a swaddling clothes in a manger. There's no shepherds. There's no wise men. There's, there, there's no Mary or Joseph. And, and also, John is the only gospel from, from the very get-go, from John chapter 1 to like get to the punch of who Jesus is. And the other, the other gospel writers, they have some reasons for why they, they kind of you know, hold their, their cards a little close to the vest because they, they know their audiences and they, they know they need to kind of let it out slowly. But John's like, hey, here's the deal. Like Jesus, from the very beginning, here's the thing. Jews reading this, they would have been like, what, Jesus is God? What? Are you crazy? I mean, John is shouting from the very get-go, Jesus is the real deal. He's the son of God. He's the lamb of God who takes away our sin. He's the creator. He's life. He's light. And he's so much more. And so these readers would have been like, oh, what? Let me, let me just process that for a minute. And so as we unpack that, keep that in mind. And, and my prayer is that you and, I, you and I would allow God to confront and challenge any status quo we may have set up in our hearts and our lives. And here's the thing. I was thinking about this this week with this kind of message. God is referred to as the potter many times. We're referred to as the clay. And here's the thing. When a potter takes a lump of clay, there's a lot of pressure that sometimes needs to be involved. There's a lot of trimming. And sometimes you may start with this big old block, you know, block of clay, and it may come down to a little old mug. That mug is really awesome looking, but there's a lot of shaping to do right? There's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of getting rid of excess, getting rid of things that aren't part of the end product. So my prayer is that as we, as we talk this morning, just for another 15 minutes or so, that God, the potter, that you allow the potter to mold you, okay? So, so just in a spirit of openness, that the Holy Spirit would be allowed to do the work he wants to do. I, I don't want you to do anything because Ryan said so. That's so temporary. Listen to the spirit in your life, the Holy Spirit, because he's talking, and that's eternal. So let's look at uh, John chapter 1, verse one, 1 and 2. It says this, In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. So these uh, first two verses are pretty important. Of course, the Word is, is Jesus. But, but here's the thing about, about Jesus. Like, he didn't just jump on the scene as some new, like, renegade figure with some bone to pick with someone or something. Like, Jesus was God, is God. He's part of the Trinity. And so, like, him coming to the world that he created, it wasn't a surprise that man needed a Savior. Here's the, blows my mind. Think about this just for a minute. In, in whatever capacity we have as human beings, the God of the universe, before ever making the world, Jesus knew the 100% reality that he would have to face the cross. He knew the 100% reality that he would be rejected. I love how the message translation puts verse 2. It says this. Go to the next slide. It says, the word was God in readiness for God from day one. Like, that's so good. I can think of, again, this is a trinity, and I'm just, I'm just exploring here. I'm just, I, I like, to, like to daydream a little. But I can just think of like the trinity. Before the world was created, they were in perfect unity and perfect harmony. They needed nothing, but they wanted to create humanity. And I can just think they're all, you know, okay, Holy Spirit, you're going you're gonna to do this, and, and Jesus, you're going to do this, and, 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 and God the Father, and, and Jesus is like, put me in, coach. I want to go now. Put me in. And God's like, you know, you're going to have to go to the cross. Like, that's, 
You're going to have to feel the sting. Put, put me in, coach. I'm ready. Put me in. Jesus was in readiness for you and I, for the need of a savior. Like, he knew it. I hope that blows your mind. We fall to our knees at night and say, thank you, Jesus. There is no other way. So maybe somebody needs to kind of wrestle with that a little. But let's move on to John chapter 1, verse 3 through 4. It says this, God created everything through him, that being Jesus, and nothing was created except through him, again, that being Jesus. The word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. So this is awesome. This is so significant because it deals with your identity. If anybody ever is feeling lacking in the identity department, realize who your creator is. And here's why. This may be one of those places that you have to challenge the status quo this morning. Have you ever felt a longing in your heart like for more? Or, or maybe a dissatisfaction with the way things are. And I'm not talking about circumstances. Those will come and go. You'll have high moments and low moments. But just like a deep longing of saying, there's got to be something more. Anybody, anybody out there? I imagine we all have at some point, we're, we're all made in the image of God, and so anything that is not part of, of his image, you know, reflected in us, then it's going to be off kilter. But here's the thing. In saying that you've had a longing, has anyone ever tried to fill that longing or dissatisfaction by getting a better job, getting a better title, or getting more money, or buying a better house, or a bigger house, or accumulating a new stuff and a new car? And any, anybody willing to confess? Some timid hands, but it's, I see hands nonetheless. Here's the thing. I totally have. I'll, con- I'll be the first to confess. I totally have done that. Several years ago, I was at a church here in, in Wichita, and, um, and honestly, I was kind of playing church. I was doing the whole religious thing. On the outside, I looked probably pretty happy, but on the inside, there was something missing. And so, Instead of like giving it to the Lord and saying, Lord, what is going on here? And allowing him to minister and confront the status quo in my heart. I decided that, hey, if I got a different job, if I got a different ministry position at a different church, then that would settle it. I would sure find satisfaction. I'm sure it was just the wrong church at the wrong time at the wrong position. And so I went looking and I, and I found a different position. I got a different job. I got a, a, a bigger title and a, even a bigger salary and had more resources at a bigger church. And so for the first two months, I thought, ah, oh, maybe, maybe this is it. You know, maybe I've arrived. This is awesome. Didn't take long for that dissatisfaction and that longing to return. And in fact, it came back with a vengeance. And here's the thing. I told the first service this. It wasn't part of my notes, but I, I feel it's part of my testimony and, and a part of the glory that the Lord receives now. For... for I only lasted at that church for about 10 months. And I wore that as a badge of shame for a long time. For two years, I wandered in the wilderness of like, God, you called me into ministry, but it's not what I thought. Two years wandering in the wilderness. But I'll tell you what the wilderness produced in my life. The reality that I am a son of God. The reality that no title will define me. I'll be defined by my heavenly father as a son, adopted in with full inheritance rights. So, maybe the Lord's pressing on you this morning. And here's the thing. Maybe you've tried to get a better job and buy more things. And here's the thing. The house is not the issue. The car is not the issue. If you, if you want a new car and the Lord says, go buy a new car, don't feel guilty. But here's the thing. If you put anything before the creator, it will be off kilter. Anything created 
put before Jesus as creator is off kilter because here's the reality that we find in John chapter one, verses three and four. We were created by Jesus for Jesus. Nothing else will ever satisfy. I love what Pastor Matt Chandler said once. He says, we have not been made by our work for our work. We have not been created by our spouse for our spouse. We've not been created by our friends for our friends, by our money for our money, or by our position for our position. We have been created by Jesus for Jesus, and our souls will never find rest until they find rest in him. Maybe somebody needs to wrestle with that this morning. Has something, something created been put in front of the creator? I promise you that no job, no bigger salary, no title, no new relationship will ever satisfy except Christ alone. I guarantee it. So save yourself some heartache. <laughs> Receive that truth and let that sink in. We were made by Jesus for Jesus. The most best or the most joyful, best, content version of ourselves will be found when we accept that truth. Well, let's, uh, let's move on to John chapter 1, verse 5 through 9. I love this part. This is the gospel, just plain and simple through and through. And I pray that it'll just bless somebody this morning. Let's read this. The light shines in the darkness. Somebody say shines. Shines in the darkness. And guess what? The darkness can never extinguish it. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. Here, my friends, is an example of the power of a testimony. It's another sermon, but nonetheless, good stuff. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. The light shines in the darkness. What verb tense is used? Present. I know that this is not English class, but, but verb tenses. I, that, I, like, I was miserable at English. I really was. I'll just confess that as well. This is confession time. Miserable at English. But that's, that's present tense. What are most of the, the verb tenses that we've, that we've read so far? Past tense. Jesus came into the world. He moved into our neighborhood. But here, John, <laughs> the apostle John is prophesying about the ministry of Christ, the ongoing ministry of Christ. Jesus shines in the darkness. And here's why that's good news. Here's why that's the gospel in a nutshell. Does anybody struggle, and you don't have to raise your hands, this is kind of rhetorical, but, but self-reflective. Did anybody struggle with the darkness of depression? Thank you for being honest, getting it out there, exposing it to the light. Guess what? Jesus' light shines there. There's hope for peace. Does anybody struggle with the darkness of, of addiction? Jesus' light shines there. There's hope for freedom. What about, what about the darkness of guilt, of shame, of regret, of feeling like a failure, feelings of not being good enough? Jesus' light shines there. There's, no, there's nowhere you can go. His light shines in the darkness, every dark corner. Human trafficking. You look at the news and you just, I mean, sometimes I just crumble thinking, good Lord, please come back. We need you, Jesus. And Jesus is like, no, not, not at this time. I'll have the time, but right now I need you to be a light in the darkness. Human trafficking, prostitution. You, you turn on whatever news channel you want and you can see all the bad news. Jesus shines in every bit of that. He does. Jesus shines 
in the darkness. And this, this, my friends, this is why I think that Christians should be the most hopeful bunch of crazies on planet Earth. I'm so sick and tired of hearing myself say it. I'm sick and tired of hearing Christians say it. Well, yeah, yeah, you know so, and so there's probably really no hope there. I'm like, what? What? Jesus took on human flesh and moved into the neighborhood. He shines in every dark corner. So friends, let's wash our mouths out with soap or whatever we need to do. Get our hearts right with the Lord and submit it to Jesus. There is hope. We need to be the most hopeful bunch of crazies on planet Earth because it, it's not a fairy tale. It's not a myth or a, like, oh, I kind of hope this works out. What, is, what does Hebrews 11:1 1 say? Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Faith is being sure of what we hope for, certain of what we, it's not just like unbridled optimism, it's the reality of who God is. He shines in the darkness. Brothers and sisters, I wanna challenge us in something that, I, that is an epidemic in Christianity, a lack of belief in the power and the hope of Christ in every situation. Someone say every situation. Every situation. And I, I'm gonna be honest, I'll confess it and I'll get it out there too. I can struggle, and I'm, I'm sure some of you are thinking like, well, Ryan, you don't, you, don't, you don't really know the details of what's going on in my life. You don't know the details of my failing marriage, of the brokenness that I'm feeling. That I, I just don't see a way out. Ryan, you don't, you don't know the son or the daughter that's in addiction and has tried multiple upon multiple upon multiple times to get, to get recovery and then found themselves back in the same place. Ryan, you don't know X, Y, and Z. And, and, I, and I'll, be, I'll be honest, I don't know. But I know my God. And my God shines in the darkest corner. We need, we, need to, we need to be challenged in our thinking to submit them to the feet of Jesus and to let him do what he does best. And that's pierce the darkness, trounce on the darkness. So maybe God needs to, like the status quo, maybe God needs to like get somebody there this morning. Maybe you've let doubt actually settle into your neighborhood and not the king of kings and the Lord of lords. A few years ago, God opened some cool doors, some really cool doors. It actually was during the desert season that, that my wife and I were in. God opened some cool doors, and we made some new friends. And um, actually, they joined us this morning at the first service, and I love Mark and Melissa, and then their son, Marky. And uh, Mark, before I had met him a few years before, he was in a gang. And now, <laughs> it's only God, because I, I'm, I'm a suburban kid, and I didn't really have many, you know, interactions with inner city folk or, or, or gang members. And so like, this was only the Lord. And I'm so thankful for it. I'm a, I'm a better man because of Mark in my life. And I was sharing, uh, you know, uh, a story in the first service about Mark. And, and Mark told me about pre-Jesus Mark. And pre-Jesus Mark was not a real nice dude, okay? Um, if he felt disrespected, he would hunt you down. And you would probably get a, a fairly good beating, right? And so there was some beef going on between him and a, and a, and a rival gang, gang member. And, um, and this gang member had thrown, like, you know, Maltov cocktails or whatever, the fiery ones at his house and burned it up. I mean, it's crazy. And, and so Mark, in return, went and hunted this guy down with several of his buddies in a car. And so Mark gets out of his car as they see this guy driving by, and they begin to fire shots into this guy's car. And, and again, I'm just like, what? That happened? Like, that's real life? And he's like, yeah. And so they, they, fire, they fire shots in this car. The car about a, about a block down swerves and, and crashes into like a telephone pole. So Mark and his buddies, they're like, oh, we killed the dude. Like, and we're going to go to prison for a long time. 
So they jump into the car, and his wife, Melissa, who was kind of part of it, she was picking up the gun shells as they're getting in to hopefully get the evidence away. Well, fast forward a few years. Fast forward two years. Mark gets radically saved. The guy who they shot at was miraculously not hurt, not touched at all by one of those bullets. That guy ends up going to prison for several years. And guess what? Jesus' light shines in the darkness, and that man found Jesus in prison. It gets even better. This man gets out of prison, calls up Mark, and says, hey, let's meet for supper. Mark says, okay, I'm yeah, sure. They meet for supper, and over supper, they extend grace and forgiveness to one another. Jesus shines in every dark corner. <laughs> There's another story. This is crazy. I won't, I won't share the whole details because I want Mark to do it sometime. <laughs> Mark came to Christ because he hired a hitman and it failed. <laughs> Jesus shines in the darkness, my friends. <laughs> he's he's going to have to share that sometime. I'm going I'm I'm to ask him. Here's the thing. I want to finish up kind of our, our time together just reading this last bit of passage actually that we be, first began with. And I want to challenge us in something. Belief. What do we believe about a real Jesus? Do we believe that he's real? Because if he is real, then it implies real change in our lives. I want to read this scripture one more time. John chapter 1, verse 10 through 14, and then finish up with a few thoughts. It says this, Jesus, he came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, but to all who believed him and accepted him, accepted his values, his way of living, his life, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So the word became human and made his home among us. He moved into our neighborhood. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. I want to leave you with this thought and maybe this something to ponder. John wrote this book. John wrote the, the gospel that bears his name because of this reason. He wanted to present Christ so that people might believe and accept who Jesus is. And it would change and transform their lives. He shares one more verse in John chapter 20 verse 30 through 31, the very reason, again, he wrote this. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. Today, you have a choice, and that choice has real implications. A real Jesus implies real change. A real Jesus implies real consequences for how we live our lives. And so I want to ask, maybe, maybe there's some of you out there that have never said yes to Jesus, and this is kind of compelling, and you want to hear more about it. I'd love to talk with you. I think Jesus is, is the answer for every, every situation, everything we go through, the highs and lows. He's it. He's the real deal. And if we have anything that's put in front of him, our lives will be off kilter. But maybe, maybe you have been a Christian a long time and, and maybe things are a little out of whack because you put something in front of the creator, Christ. Or maybe you need to allow Jesus, the Holy Spirit, to confront the status quo in your life. Maybe you've allowed doubt to move into your neighborhood. Whatever it is, whatever it is, 
by believing and accepting him that you may have life. Anybody want life? I sure do. I don't want to go through this life with just kind of a temporary, like sugar-coated kind of life. I want the real deal. His name's Jesus. Will you allow him to confront the status quo in your heart this morning? I want to do something. I want to take a minute as the band plays softly. If you just close your eyes for a minute. Here's the thing. I want us to press into the Holy Spirit. I believe the Holy Spirit's always talking. He really does. He just, he can't, he can't help himself. That's who he is. And I believe that he's saying things right now to individuals in this room. And maybe he's just whispering in your ear, you're a child of God. Maybe he's whispering in your ear, no, you're a masterpiece. I created you in Christ Jesus for wonderful, wonderful things. Maybe some of you are thinking right now, well, yeah, but you don't know my past. Yeah, Jesus does. He moved into that jacked up neighborhood to bring hope and light. So press in just just for a moment and ask the Holy Spirit, what is it, Holy Spirit, that you want to speak over my life? How does this gospel message of Jesus, a real Jesus, impact my life? Let's take a moment and just press in.
want to find out how to get involved, go to reliancecommunity.org.